throughout the Bible, we're warned um, of the danger of an improper thought life, and in fact, we're encouraged to take every thought into captivity. And uh, the reason for it is pretty obvious, is that we end up doing, according to Jesus, we will do the things that we think about the most. And so as we struggle with our thought lives, he warns us not to do it. In fact, Mark 7 tells us that it's out of our thought life, out of the, the inner man that precedes such acts as adultery and fornication and murder and anger and envy and strife and all those things. So what we dwell on or what we think about oftentimes is what we end up doing. That's why Paul went on to say in Philippians chapter 4, he said, you know, if you're going to think of anything, think about things that are good that are right before God, because as we think about those things, we'll have a tendency also to act in such a way. Now, the reason I bring that up is because there's a major difference between the things we think about oftentimes are the things that we do, but the things we think about aren't always reality. They're not always true. Even though we think them, it doesn't mean it's always true. And in fact, I heard a true story recently about a, a man who went to the airport to pick up a friend that he hadn't seen in a long time. And during the course of their conversation, the man that he picked up said, so how have you been lately? And he said, well, to be honest with you, I haven't been feeling very well. I've been sick. And so his friend said, oh, no, you know what? See, you need to be more positive. If you just think more positively, then you won't be sick. So you need to think more positively. So you're only sick because you think you're sick. So they went on and they started to continue to talk and as they were driving back to his house, they started to reminisce about old friends and the guy he picked up said, hey, by the way, do you see Jane? How's Jane doing? And his friend said, well, according to you, she's doing a lot better than she thinks because she thinks she's dead. So, you know, you've got to be careful about the things that we think about because not everything we think is true and it's important that we examine the facts. And I deal with this on a pretty regular basis, being in a business that appeals to feelings of people heating and air conditioning. You have got, you know, people call in, this, is, this thing's not working. What do you mean it's not working? Well, I don't feel cold. Okay, well, what's the problem? It's not working. I don't feel cold. Okay, well, great. So you can go and you can go through the whole thing with them and you can explain to them all the, the physics that's involved in temperature differences and splits between this and that and outdoor air temperature. And it's like we get people call and say, it's only 80 degrees in here. Well, how hot is it outside? Well, it's 118 in Palm Springs. All right, sounds like it's pretty nice. Well, that's not, I don't feel cold. I said, well, go outside for a while and come on back in. <laughs> Take care of that. And, but it's true, you know, and you deal with that on a regular basis and you begin to realize that our, our feelings or our thoughts are not always reality. And so it becomes real important as we get into what we're here to talk about this morning that we remember our feelings aren't always true, even though there's a lot of truth to what we think we may do. The, the opposite of that is it's not always the case. It is not always reality. So as we go through it, let me ask you a question. It's a very personal question, but you need to address it individually. Every person that's here, ask yourself this question. On a scale of 0 to 100, with the zero being the absolute lowest amount of certainty you could have, actually none, actually it may be certain that it's not the case, and I'll tell you in a minute. On a scale of zero to 100, with 100 being absolute certainty, on that scale, you ask yourself this question. If I died right now, what's my percentage of going to heaven? Zero being I'm absolutely sure I'm not. I haven't been good today. 
or a hundred being I'm absolutely without any question positively sure that I am regardless of whether I've been good or not good or whatever it doesn't matter how I feel I'm sure of that that's a question and don't don't answer it you gotta answer don't answer it out loud you just answer it yourself because every one of us have to deal with that because we're all terminal we're all on our way out of here and God is gracious in that he allows some of us to get a lot older and to watch this process take place before us as we look into the mirror and God's graciousness just says look at you you're gonna die and you may have caught a glimpse of that this morning when you got ready to come here but um, and if you don't notice it ask the person who watched you get dressed you know <laughs> You know, because not always what we think is real, but we got to go to some little more objective standard. But the reality of it all is, is that from zero to 100, what is your chance of going to heaven if you died right now? That's a great question. 80%? 20%? I'm not sure. 100%? I know, I'm convinced. Well, that's what we need to look at, because what we're going to talk about is, is ask, ask and answer the question, who has eternal life? Who has eternal life? But before we look at 1 John, which we're going to do in a moment, turn to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19, this was the question that was asked of Jesus. Who has eternal life? How can I be 100% sure that if I die today, I'm going to heaven? That's the question that was asked of Jesus. And it's a great question. There's no more important question that any of us will ever have to address than that one issue. 100%, he said this, verse 16, Matthew chapter 19. It says, And behold, one came to him and said, Teacher, what good things shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? What he's saying in essence is, Teacher, how can I know with absolute certainty that I have eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There's only one who is good, but if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept, but what am I still lacking? And Jesus said to him, If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieved, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And when the disciples heard this, they were astonished and said, well, then who can be saved? And looking upon them, Jesus said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. A couple issues before we get to 1 John. Let me ask you a question. Was this man convinced in his own heart that if he died, he was going to heaven? No. How do we know that he had some doubts? Because he came to Jesus to begin with, and that was the opening question. He said, You know what? I, I need to know for sure whether I'm going to heaven. How, how am I going to get there? You see that? That's what he said. And so Jesus went on and he said to him, what? He said, well, guess what? If you wish to enter into life or you wish to have eternal life, then you need to keep the commandments. Okay? And he said, well, which ones? He was hoping that he hit the ones that he was doing. And he said, "You murder, adultery, stealing, uh, lying, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor yourself. And the, and the young man said, well, you know what? I've done all those. Okay, now is he still sure? 
Why not? Because he asked again. He said, I did all those, but you know what? What am I still missing? See, and, and that's really the issue is what is still missing in my life that I don't have any confidence because I'm doing all the outward things and yet I know in my heart that I'm not right before God. I have no confidence that if I died right now that I'm going to heaven and I need to have that assurance. What must I, what must I do more than what I'm doing? See, and there are a lot of church people who ask that question and don't realize they're asking it. They're going to church, they're going through the motions, they're giving, they're doing things, they're trying to be good, they're trying to obey the commandments, they're doing the list of the things that their church tells them to do, and yet in their heart they know that if they died they have no assurance that they're going to heaven. And they're the ones who say things like, well, I think maybe 70%, I got a 70% chance of going. Maybe 82%, I'm having a pretty good week or 50% or 30% or I'm upset with someone and now it's down to 20%. And see, and it changes, it varies all over the board because it's based on feelings. I feel like I'm not living up to what I need to live up to. So he said, well, you know what? I'm still lacking something. So what does Jesus say to do? He says, well, if you wish to be complete, it says, go and sell your possessions and give them to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. All right? What does he do? He walks away. He's all upset. Why? Because he wanted to hear that the things that he was doing was good enough, even though he knew in his heart it wasn't. So Jesus confronts him with the truth, and it doesn't matter how he felt, even though what he felt was true because he didn't think he was going to get there. But what he did was he said, wait a minute. He addressed the issue. Hey, you know what? I know you want me to tell you that things you're doing are right, and that's going to give you some assurance, but you're not going to ever have assurance in your heart because it doesn't come from outside. It has to come from within. So he says, so I want you to do is go and sell your possessions and then you come and follow me. Now let me ask you a question. What are the two greatest commandments? Flip ahead, Matthew 22. What are they? We'll save some time here. Oh, good, okay. Number one is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and might. You love God with every ounce of everything that you have, right? That's the greatest commandment, right? Okay, let me ask you something. Was he being obedient to the greatest commandment? No, how do we know that? Because, first of all, Jesus said where your heart is, that's where your treasures are. And he loved his things more than God because he didn't want to give up his things. And not only that, he didn't love God more than anything else in the world because when Jesus said, you come and follow me, he said, no. I'm not following you. I'm going to do my own thing. So the first commandment that he violates is he doesn't love God first before everything else because when Jesus said, follow me, he said, no, I'm not going to. Now, what's the second commandment that he violated? What's the second greatest commandment? They love your neighbor as yourself. All right, well, how, would he love his, how can he demonstrate that he actually did love his neighbor as himself, and how could he demonstrate that he loved God more than anything else? How would he have been able to do it? Give him up. He, he was told to go sell all your possessions and give them to the poor. See, number one, if you really love me first, then you're not going to let those things hold you back, so you might as well go sell them and then follow me, and while you've, after you've sold them, you might as well give them to the poor because the two greatest commandments are love God with all your heart, soul, strength, follow him, before anything, greatest priority in our life is to honor God, follow Him. Second thing is that we love our neighbor as ourselves. So now I have something that somebody else needs, I might as well give it to him. But he didn't love either. He didn't love God and he didn't love his neighbor. So guess what Jesus did? He exposed the hypocrisy or the fallacy of what he thought was going to get him to heaven. He said, you know what? You're not going to get there because you can't obey all the commandments. That was the point that he was making. So who has eternal life? And what John's been teaching us all throughout the study is that you and I cannot obey all the commandments of God. If we could, we wouldn't need a Savior. 
It's absolutely impossible for you and I to do enough good things to be righteous in and of ourselves because, number one, the Bible says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, which means that none of us are perfect. We've all missed the perfect standard of God. So all of us need a Savior. That's why the angel said, you're going to name him Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. We need a Savior. That's the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. And so who has eternal life? But the one who has the Son of God, the one who, who accepts the testimony or receives the witness of God concerning his Son. That's who has eternal life. So now what John's going to do all throughout the book of 1 John, and if you've got your Bibles, turn back to 1 John chapter 5, as this and next week will conclude our study. But as he goes through it, he's saying that the only one who has eternal life, and let me just preface something here too. Eternal life is not something that we look forward to after we're dead. So many of us are mistakenly believing the fact that, okay, good, I have something to look forward to when I die. But what the Bible teaches is the moment that you and I ask Jesus Christ to come into our life and have received the testimony of God concerning His Son, Jesus, the moment we do that, we have at that moment eternal life. It is not something we have to look forward to later and because we have that life now that it should change the way that we live every day. Fear of death is no longer part of our life. It is with a world that doesn't know what's going to happen to them. We can boldly walk upon the face of this earth knowing that God is in control of everything, that we have eternal life at the moment we ask Christ to come in. And what the book of Ephesians tells us is that God gives us his spirit to indwell us or live within us as a down payment to, to, to honor the fact that he says we have that life. And so when he receives his spirit back to himself, we kind of come along with him. And that's what happens. So here he is saying, who has eternal life? Well, it's not eternal life in the future. It's the moment that you ask Christ to come into your life, then you can have 100% certainty based on what the Bible teaches is that you know that you're going to heaven. Now, 1 John chapter 5, we looked at last week, and we're going to take a look at it and see what it, what it has to say. But starting in verse 6, we read this. And this is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that bear witness, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater, for the witness of God is this, that he has borne witness concerning his Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the witness that God has borne concerning his Son. And the witness is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. This is like an attorney's dream, a passage that has all this witnessing and testifying. And, uh, and as we'll see, it makes a lot of sense as we put it in that context because what, what's happening here, in, uh, in 1789, Benjamin Franklin wrote this. He said, nothing is certain but death and taxes. Now, he was making a point, and Benjamin Franklin was a lot brighter than that because he knew there are a lot of other things in life that you can have some certainty. 
And in fact, in the Bible, um, in this particular book, the word know occurs 39 times, and eight times it occurs just in this last chapter. There are many things as Christians that we can be absolutely convinced of beyond a shadow of a doubt, beyond any feelings that we have, whether we're having a good day or a bad day. There are objective facts that we can turn to, just as I can look at a thermostat and say, I'm sorry, ma'am, but here's an objective measurement of whether you're hot or cold. See, some of you may think you're hot or cold right now. And what's amazing about it is some of you do. Some of you think you're cold. Some of you think you're hot. And it's a real tough crowd to please when you're dealing with things like that. So if you think you're cold, then think if you put something else on that you'll become warm. And try that. If you think you're hot, don't take anything off. <laughs> you have to just grin and bear it. No, I don't mean that either, Barrett. No, that's not right either. But, uh, but anyway, here's what he has to say. In, in verses 1 through 5, last week, if you remember, it says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child of God. So what he's saying is this. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Savior of the world is born of God. All right? So in order for you and I to have eternal life, we must believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Okay, that's what it says. The one who does has eternal life. But now the question that's being addressed here is, well, and it's a great question. Wait a minute, how do I know for sure that Jesus is God? And that's what it, the issue is in verses um, uh, 6 through 12. That's what the issue is. So we're going to take a look at uh, three things. Number one, we're going to look at the reliability of the facts. Don't ever forget that our faith and our assurance, our certainty, is based on facts and not based on our feelings. Get that and, and drive it home today. Our assurance or certainty of going to heaven is based on the reliability of the facts that are laid out, that are objective standards, that have nothing to do with how I feel. Some days I doubt whether I'm going to heaven because, like I said, I may have done some things or said some things or thought some things that just aren't pleasing to God. And I may have those doubts and struggles. And it's like, man, if I'm really a child of God, why am I still struggling with these things? Well, the good news is Apostle Paul asked the same question in Romans chapter 7 and 8 because he struggled with things too. Man, if I'm really saved, if I'm really born of God, if I'm really a child of God, then why do I do the things I don't want to do sometimes and the things that I want to do, I, I, I don't do when I want to do them and I'm struggling with this existence. And we're all struggling with something. I know that for a fact. But it doesn't change the reliability of what God has to say, and this is what he says. There are three things we're going to look at. He says, this is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and the blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. So what he's saying is this, you can be absolutely certain that you are going to heaven because there are three witnesses who are about to give you reasons why. And the first one is the water. And if you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. Matthew 3, starting with verse 11 we see the testimony of God concerning His Son. Matthew 3, starting with verse 11, look what it says. As for me, talking, this is John the Baptist speaking, he says, As for me, I baptize with water for repentance, 
But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And his winnowing fork in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Says, bang, and then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan coming to John to be baptized by him. Says, but John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered, saying to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. And after being baptized, Jesus went up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and coming upon him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus said to John the Baptist, allow this to take place because it is fulfilling the righteousness of God found in his word, Isaiah 42, 1 through 5. God the Father through the Holy Spirit uh, prophesied concerning the coming of the Christ, the Savior of the world, and said when he comes into the world that we will testify to the fact that he is who he claims to be. And so if you look at this, you'll see basically what's happening is the Spirit of God descended as a dove in the form of a dove and came upon him. The Spirit of God bore witness when he descended on the Son and when he included in Scripture in Isaiah 42, 1 through 5, that Jesus was the Christ, he, he descended upon him bearing witness that Jesus was the Christ. And not only did the Spirit testify to the fact that Jesus was God, God the Father spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So he's saying at the time of our Lord's baptism, the Spirit of God descended upon him, testifying to the fact that Jesus was who he claimed to be, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. God the Father spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The three witnesses are all present at the same time, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, testifying to the fact that Jesus is who he claimed to be and who Scripture claimed he would be. So then he goes on and he says, well, not only that, but we see there's, there's a second witness. The first witness was the water, and the second witness is the blood. If you've got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 12. As the time for Jesus to die drew near, the Father gave testimony again concerning the fact that Jesus was the Christ. John chapter 12, look at verses 27 through 33. Jesus, speaking of his impending death, said, Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this hour and this purpose I came. Father, glorify thy name. Therefore, came, there came therefore a voice out of heaven. I have both glorified it, and I will glorify it again. God the Father, speaking from heaven, and the multitudes therefore stood by, heard it, were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered and said, This voice has not come for my sake, but for yours. It came as a testimony to the fact that Jesus was the Christ, the Savior of the world. Don't forget the question that you're asking is, Well, I know it says if I believe in Christ that I'll have eternal life, but how am I sure 